Uh, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Danielle, for doing that reading. Good morning again. As we continue through the book of Matthew, we are continuing to focus for one more week on the theme of rest. We have been talking about the invitation that Jesus gives to find our rest, our soul rest in him. We've talked about how we need to, in order to do that, in order to come to him for rest, we need to die to some things. We need to repent of some things. And we talked about a few things in particular. We need to repent of being in control, of trying to be in control. When we try to be in control, that just leads to anxiety and stress. But when we can lay that down and recognize that Jesus, the one who conquered death, who came back from the grave, is in control, we can rest in that. We also need to repent of our need to be liked and approved of by people all the time. It's nice to be liked. I like to be liked. But not always going to get it. And so if we need to be liked, then that means we're going to lose sleep. We're going to be lying awake at night wondering who's mad at me. Is that person mad at me? They, they gave me this tone. I don't know. And it's going to create anxiety. But if we can lay that down and recognize Jesus has paid for my eternal adoption... I am adopted into God's family and I am accepted by him forever. Nothing can snatch me out of his hand because Jesus paid for it. Then I can rest. I can say, you know, what? I'll love people and I don't have to worry so much about them loving me back all the time. It's nice when I get it, but I'm not always going to get it. And then thirdly, we talked about how we need to repent of our desire to try to prove our worth through our accomplishments and our achievements. Whether that comes through being a mom, a dad, a worker, a business owner, ministry, pastor, whatever it is that we tend to boast in, in our souls. Oh, this is who I am. When I get this done, when I do this right, that creates anxiety. We, then we always have to maintain. But we can lay that down and rest in the fact that Jesus has proven himself on our behalf. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He paid for us at the cross. He, he, he allowed me to be clothed in his robes of righteousness so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my resume of what I've accomplished in life. He sees Jesus' righteousness around me. So I can rest. That means I'm free to fail. I'm free to screw up. I'm free to be criticized by somebody and say, you know what? You're probably right and I'm probably worse than you even think I am. And yet Jesus loves me. And then last week, finally, we talked about how in order to rest in Jesus, we need to repent of our fault-finding tendencies. When we're constantly looking at other people and what they're doing wrong, whether that's a spouse or a neighbor or a friend or those people out there, that other political group, whoever it is, when we're constantly focused on what they're doing wrong and how justice hasn't come to them yet and how we want to get even with them or they're not living up to our expectations— our eyes are on them and it's not on Jesus. And we're quenching the mercy that Jesus wants us to experience on a daily basis. His mercy, he wants it to flow onto us and out onto others. But when we're focused on Michael and Jeannie and oh, Steve did that again, then I'm not 
going to experience the rest that Jesus wants me to. Now today, one more week, and I want to start off by doing a little experiment. Um, it, it, you know, we talk about being an authentic church, and um, we all have needs. We've got things that we need healing or restoration from. And I, I just want to ask the question, and, and, and I'm going to give you a way to show what the answer is anonymously. Uh, but here's the question. What do you need healing from? What do you need restoration from? Is it physical? Cancer to a sinus infection. Is it emotional? You're dealing with bitterness in your heart. You're dealing with unforgiveness in your heart. Depression, anxiety. Is it mental? Maybe you're dealing with bipolar tendencies. Maybe, maybe you've got dyslexia. Maybe it's relational. Your marriage is broken. You have fallen out with a friend. What do you need healing from? Here's the experimental part of it. This is a QR code. The last two years of COVID have made these popular. If you hold up your camera on your phone to this, we're going to do this together. Go ahead and let's take out your camera phones. I don't normally encourage cell phone use during my sermons. But uh, you should know how to do this. Like you're taking a picture. A little yellow blurb will pop up. Click on that yellow blurb. And you'll, it'll take you to a question. In the app Slido that says, what do you need healing or restoration from? And you can start to type in things anonymously. Go ahead, give it a shot. You'll see what other people are putting. Oh, you're not getting service? Huh, I got service. I tested it before. All right, some people are doing it. I'll read off some of the things that are popping in. Judgment, relationships, sleep is a big one. Sleep keeps, okay. Stomach issues, pain, anxiety, pride, worrying about money, autoimmune, lateness, <laughs> low self-esteem, bad thoughts, sexual abuse, judgment, sleep, and anxiety got hit again. You can do this later um, as, as well, but they keep, you can keep sending them in, but you'll see that um, heart, sin, pain, health, you can keep bringing them in. What I want us to do is to recognize, number one, that we're not alone in our pain. We're not alone in our need for healing and restoration. And number two, number two, I, I want us to... After we've identified some of this, I want us to now look at the passage that Danielle just read and try to see our pain through that filter, through the filter of the, what we just read in the book of Matthew. Anxiety is the biggest right now. You can keep sending them in. Anxiety is the biggest. We're going to pray for some of these needs at the end of service as well. But first, uh, I want us to look at this passage and try to see the, our pain and our need for healing and restoration in light of it, in light of who Jesus is. What we just saw in this passage was that the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. The pressure is mounting on Jesus. He has been breaking their rules, particularly, most recently, their Sabbath rules. They had expectations and rules for the Sabbath that Jesus was breaking. It wasn't God's laws. It wasn't God's rules he was breaking. It was the, the extra stuff that these religious folks were adding to God's laws. Jesus was breaking it. He healed a man on the Sabbath day. They said that was a no-no. You can heal guys, people 
on other days, not on the Sabbath. He healed them, and then they go out and they plot a way to kill Jesus. They use it as, a, as evidence against Jesus. See? See what he's doing? He's claimed to be God. He's claimed to be the Messiah. They see him as a blasphemer, and he would be if he was lying about who he was or he was crazy about who he was. And they go out to kill him. Pressure mounts. Jesus tries to withdraw. It's not yet time for him to die. So he tries to withdraw. As he tries to withdraw, he gets pressure from the other side, from the crowds who need healing, who need help, who need restoration. They've got some of these things, right? They've got the knee pain. They've got the autoimmune diseases. They've got the leprosy. They've got these things. And they're, they're going and they're pressing on Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus is trying to get away. And the crowds, they had to know that the religious leaders are after Jesus. And you would think, hey, give him some space. Give the man a break. Give him some space. We can get our needs met another time. But they're just like following him. So they're not just needy. They're a little selfish, right? Like when you know somebody needs some space, you're like, I don't care. I got my needs. I want it to be met. Right? That's a little selfish, right? What would I do if I wanted to be on my own a little bit and people kept bugging me? What do you do? I'm a little introverted, more introverted than most people think because I can be outgoing. I'm kind of an outgoing introvert. And so I can only deal with people like X amount of times in a row and then I, I kind of go flat. I shut down. I kind of go inward. And so if I can't get away, I, 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 I can be really, it's, it's hard for me to emotionally respond and sometimes, sinfully, I can see people as an obstacle to my peace. Can I just admit that to you? So somebody's being needy and I'm needing space. The last thing I feel like doing is meeting that need. Right? I got boundaries. It's me time. I need me time. What does Jesus do? He doesn't turn around and say, yo, back up off me. I have my me time now. Don't you guys know how to respect my boundaries? Here's some books on boundaries. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do what we do. He meets their needs. He shows mercy and compassion and grace. All these needs. Just like what you guys have put in this app. Anxiety and sleep. My own mind. I can relate to that. Anger. He's meeting needs. He's blessing people. He doesn't stop. And Matthew's looking at all this and he says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He sees what Jesus is doing. He sees the mounting pressure. He sees Jesus respond to needy crowds with mercy and grace and love and compassion. And he says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Now the prophet Isaiah spoke to Israel about 700 years prior to this. At a time when Israel was being uh, crushed by uh, Gentile nations partly because of her own sin against God, her rebellion against God. And so foreign nations were coming, Syria and Babylon, then the Persian Empire, and she was just being ransacked, and she was feeling hopeless. The people of Israel were looking out and saying, where's God? Has he forgotten about us? Has he given up his covenant with us? Has he, has he left us here to rot and to die and to, and to be no more? And the prophet Isaiah spoke to them to give them hope. Some warnings, yes, but hope. Hope in a coming Messiah who's going to come and bring God's blessings to Israel and then to the whole world. And Matthew's looking at what Jesus is doing and he's saying, he is fulfilling what was promised through the prophet Isaiah. Jesus of Nazareth is doing it. He is bringing God's blessings to the world. And I want to read that prophecy, but I want to look at the beginning. Look how it starts. Behold, 
my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. Behold, behold. That word behold means fix your gaze. It means set your eyes on. Fix your gaze on him. So before we get going, I just want to ask you, where is your gaze set? What are your eyes fixed on? In the midst of pain and trials, in the midst of the needs that you have for healing and restoration in different areas, where do your eyes go? Do your eyes go down to yourself? I'm, I'm going to fix this. Do they go to Google? You get pain and all of a sudden, boom, go to Google. I'm going to figure this out. Do you have a trusted friend that you go to first? Call up for advice. What do I do? Nothing wrong with Google, by the way. Nothing wrong with a trusted friend. God uses those things. But when we run to those things, when we behold those things, more than we behold the true king, we can be misled. We can be let down. We can be disappointed. So where is your gaze set? Teenagers especially. When you're dealing with anxiety, where, where do you behold? Is it your phone? Is it video games? What do you behold when you're feeling pain? Isaiah was telling Israel, behold, behold, set your gaze on the coming Messiah. And Matthew was saying to his readers, behold, the Messiah is here. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And so I want to title this. This is a long introduction, by the way, but it's going to be a shorter sermon. Finding rest by beholding. This is not even meant to be much of a teaching sermon as much as just an encouragement to behold, to behold Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, our gaze on him. I got four things that I see in this passage that we should behold about Jesus. Four things. Starting with his servant's heart. Behold his servant's heart. Look what it said in verse 18. Behold my servant. This is God the Father speaking. My servant whom I have chosen. That Messiah is God the Son. He's the chosen one. He's, he's the king who did not come to lord it over his subjects, but who stepped off his throne and became one of us, placed himself under the law. There is no other religion or faith that believes something as crazy as this, that the one who sets the standards, the one who sets the laws, placed himself under the standards for the sake of his rebellious subjects who could not live up to those standards. He is the servant indeed. Serving God the Father and came to serve us. That's what Matthew was watching in Jesus' life. Constantly serving. Constantly meeting needs. And then it's what Matthew saw in his death. He wasn't a victim. He even said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly and I'm picking it back up again. Which he did at his resurrection. He gave his life for his rebellious subjects, for you and me. This, you know why this gives me rest? You know why this should give us rest? It's because I can so easily be tempted to focus on, am I serving God enough? Am I doing enough? Am I helping enough? Am I giving enough? Oh man, I let this person down. I let that person down. Am I letting God down? Anybody else ever feel like that? You have trouble managing things? Two people? Relate three? Okay, good. A few others. But when I, can, when I fix my eyes on me and how I'm doing for God, that just gives me anxiety. It, it gives me shame if I don't feel like I'm doing well. And then it makes me prideful if I feel like I am doing well. And then I become a fault finder. Why can't everybody else do what I'm doing? But when I fix my gaze on Jesus who came to serve and who serves me far more than I could ever serve him, he outserves all of us. 
then I can sit back and go, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling and I'm bumbling my way through this life. I'm making mistakes. I'm dropping balls. But that's because I'm needy. And Jesus came to serve me. He came to die for me. He came to live in my place. I don't have to earn his favor by serving him. I've got it. And whatever, whatever serving I do for him, it flows out of the fact that he served me first. And he continuously serves me first. Sometimes I've learned to wake up and if I'm feeling anxious, just kind of go, God, I'm anxious about this, 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 and this. Like I'm needy for this, 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 and this. I'm bothered by this. My mind is worried about this, 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 and this. Can you help me? Can you serve me here today? How great it is that the God of the universe, as big as he is, serves. And his serving does not diminish how big he is. So that's number one, to behold. Number two, behold his justice. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Remember, this was originally written to Israel. Israel was seeing Gentile nations ransacking her. We live in an unjust world. They lived in a really unjust world. They saw injustice. They saw guilty people getting away with things. They saw the innocent perishing. And Isaiah was saying, set your hope on the Messiah who will bring justice. He will bring justice to this world. He will right what is wrong. I've heard in the last two years, numerous times people say, I can't watch the news. It just makes me angry. Anybody ever feel like that? Because the world is full of injustice. It's full of uh, false accusations, innocent going to jail, guilty getting away with things. Wars that shouldn't be happening. Corruption, government officials getting away with things. It's filled with that stuff. And so if we are beholding the news, if what we do is behold the media, right? If we're setting our gaze on that, then yeah, we're going to be anxious. We're going to be fearful. We're going to be depressed. We're going to be angry. We're going to be looking for people who slightly disagree with what we think are solutions to those injustices and we deem them the enemy. But when we behold the Messiah the king who will one day usher in a kingdom of perfect justice, who will one day right every wrong, when we can behold that in the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of seeing people getting away with things, we can behold him and say, that's right, that's right, he's coming. Watch the news, but behold the king of justice. Make, a you know, make sense, the difference? Watch the news, but behold the king of justice who's coming one day. He's going to write things. We live in a world where, yeah, refugees are put on the other side of the city and forgotten about, set up in projects so we can go on with our safe lives, not have to think about them. Where unborn babies are chucked aside because of birth defects, where the elderly are shut away in nursing homes and forgotten about because they're liabilities now. They're not assets to us. That's the world we live in. But Jesus sees that. Matthew saw in Jesus... This, this, this justice, this, this, he lifted up the lowly and the vulnerable and the oppressed and the forgotten and the outcast. And he called out the prideful and the arrogant. And one day he's coming back and he's going he's gonna to flip the tables and he's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what the Bible promises. And if we can behold that day, if we can behold him, yes, we as a church should do our part to bring pieces of that justice in the here and now. But it won't fully come until he returns. And Matthew is saying, behold, look, set your gaze on him. Set your gaze on him so you don't get all torn up with anger and anxiety inside. 
And that goes for you, those of you personally who feel falsely accused or who have been victims of injustice. Set your gaze on him. He's coming. You know, when slaves were originally brought to the Americas, um, some of them belonged to masters who professed to believe in Jesus as Savior, and some of them became Christians. And as they got to know this Jesus, they saw the hypocrisy. They're like, wait a second. This Jesus is lifting up the lowly. And here are these slave owners saying that we're less than. And, and many of them were able to look past that hypocrisy. And still, when they got to gather, they got to sing these spiritual songs, and they would work at a time when no hope for freedom, when families were ripped apart at the auction blocks. I mean, talk about injustice. And they could set their minds on through song, singing with fervency and passion. He's coming. God of justice is coming. He's going to write this. I'm going to experience a kingdom of perfect justice one day. So we fix our eyes. We behold his justice. Number three, behold his gentleness. Behold his gentleness. Verse 19 says, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. So he's not going to come shouting and yelling, screaming at everyone in the streets, ranting and raving on social media. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. A bruised reed. Uh, uh, reeds were like the, they would grow down by the river. Picture almost like a bamboo shoot, right? They were thin and they were hollow and they could break easily. You step on them, they're cracked, they break. You toss them aside, not good for them. Kids would go down and they would kind of make flutes out of them. And if they were too rough, they'd break. They'd toss it aside, grab another one. A bruised reed, a gentle, broken reed, he will not toss aside. A smoldering wick, right? Picture a candle. Picture this room being dark and a candle that's flickering, about to go out. It's not giving us much light. What do you do? Blow that thing out. Get a new candle. Light it. A smoldering wick. He will not quench. He will not blow it out. He will not toss it aside. He will fan it into flame. Matthew is looking at this coming Messiah, and he's saying he's not coming as a bully. He's not coming with this fierce army to trample uh, his enemies and to say to those who are weak in this world, you can't be used by me. You're too disabled. You're too old. You're too uh, anxious. Can't use you. I need the strong. I need the fit. That's not the Messiah who would come. He comes and he lifts up the broken. He lifts up the smoldering wicks. He fans them into flame. He takes those brood wreaths and he says, I'm going to use you. You'll be part of my kingdom. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not finished with you. He will not yell in the streets. N.T. Wright, an author and New Testament scholar, he, he, I'm going to quote him. It's a long quote. Go with me here, okay? Long quote. He said this, The nations and the lost Israel as well, as become clear in, in Matthew's story, are bent on violence and arrogance. All right, that's still true today. Right? Those who want peace and who work for it are always in the end shouted down by those who want more money, more land, more security, more status, and are prepared to fight and kill to get it. Those who are great and mighty in this world's terms make sure their voices are heard in the streets. Those who shout loudest get obeyed the soonest. But that's not the servant's way. So too those who want to get ahead in this world tend to push others out of the way. If they see a weak link, a rod that's bent and could break, a candle that's almost gone out, they will trample on it without a thought. That's not the servant's way. The nations are used to arrogance. Here is a servant who is the very opposite. He is the one shining light, 
the one hopeful sign. I love the way he put that. He is not coming to toss aside those bruised reeds. Fault finders, like we talked about last week, that's what we do. We find fault, we pick at people, we pick each other apart. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He doesn't give up on us. And so when we can behold him, behold his gentleness, behold his compassion for us broken people, we'll find more rest. We'll find more peace. We won't get sucked into the way of the world. Think about the way, like, this flows from the last one on justice because what happens is we see injustice in the world and we tend to react in sinful ways and create more injustice, don't we? See this in the political realm. One side sees evil on the other side and then they react to it by creating more evil. And we get swept away by that, justifying our ranting and raving and bullying and mocking and scoffing by saying they're evil and in the process we become evildoers ourselves. That's not the servant's way. When we can fix our eyes on Jesus and the way he came, his gentleness and his compassion, we will find more rest. And that flows into the last one, number four. Behold the hope he offers to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. Right? I'll read it one more time. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his names Gentiles will hope. Is there anyone here who feels like a bruised reed? You don't have to put your hand up. I'm just asking. Or a smoldering wick. Like, man, I'm on my last thread here. I'm hanging. This anxiety's got me. This anger, this depression, this broken relationship. My own mind. Jesus sees you, right? Like, he sees you. He sees you. And we don't get this enough. I don't get this enough. I, I too quickly go, I, I, I got to do, do, do for Jesus. So I was thinking, he sees me right now. He sees me. He sees where I'm struggling. He sees it. He's got compassion on it. But am I putting my hope in him? Am I putting my hope in him or am I putting my hope in my own ability to fix and to do and to go and to accomplish? He sees. He sees that single mother who's trying to maintain her work life and her responsibilities at home and who's battling some shame and guilt from the past broken relationships. She sees her. She sees that husband who just got told by his wife that she wants a divorce. And he knows he's to blame for it. But he wants to fix it. And he feels like it's too late. He doesn't know what he can do. Jesus sees him. That grandmother who can't talk to her kids because she had a falling out with her daughter and there's a rift and she doesn't know how they're going to reconcile. She wants to, but the daughter doesn't. Jesus sees her. That man who's just built this successful company and is about to go public and then all of a sudden he finds out he's got stage four pancreatic cancer. Jesus sees him. Teenage girl who's got this rumor spreading about her at school and it's not true, but she can't stop it because cell phones and social media... Jesus sees her. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. The world breaks us all at different times. We are victims of injustice and we are perpetrators of it. And we deal with the consequences of our own sins. But we can respond in two ways. Our pain doesn't necessarily bring us to our knees, does it? 
It doesn't necessarily bring us to our knees crying out for hope, looking to Jesus as the hero to the story. Sometimes our pain makes us respond with our fists raged, well, raised and, and our hearts hardened. And we say, no, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to take, take this on in my own strength. Sometimes we are bruised reeds, but we try to act like iron rods. Right? We try to act like iron rods. We try to show the world that we're tough and we can handle it and I got this and I'm independent. And instead of looking to Jesus as the hero to our story, we make ourselves the hero of the story. I've been the victim of stuff, but I'm going to get those people and everybody else is the villain. Everybody else is the enemy. But I'm going to overcome and I'm the hero. I want to end with this story as we close. This story from, from um, Luke chapter 23. This is, is random, right? The, like, I'm, it's a Good Friday story, but, but I, I was reading it this week and I just, it popped out at me. It's a story of two different people who responded. They were in the same situation and they respond differently to Jesus. It's while Jesus is on the cross. Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who were hang, who were one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the sentence of condemnation? Okay, so Jesus is there on the cross. There's one on one side and there's another on the other side. And they're responding in different ways. One of them is hard-hearted, right? He's looking at Jesus. He's like, come on. If you're really who you say you are, save us, save yourself, prove it. He's hard-hearted. He's not submitted He's not needy. The other one, though, he rebuked the first one. He said, don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. But then he adds this. We indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He sees that Jesus is innocent, suffering for the guilty. He sees that Jesus, look at verse 42. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He sees that Jesus has the power to let him come into his kingdom. He's recognizing him as Messiah. Remember me, he says. Two different responses. They're in the same situation. So we can respond to our pain and our trials, whether we brought it on ourselves or somebody else, we can respond with a hard heart or with a soft heart. Look how Jesus responded. He said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What a promise. The guy has done nothing for Jesus. Can you fathom that? He has served Jesus. There is no record of him serving Jesus or God, or Yahweh, Israel at all. All we know is that he's a criminal. That's it. And he, by his own confession, deserves what he's getting. That's all we know about him. And yet Jesus, once again, is out serving him. Right? Serving this man by saying, I'm going to remember you. You're going to be with me in paradise today. You're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to experience this perfect kingdom of justice even though you have not lived a perfectly just life. Can you believe that? He's being gentle with this man. And he's given this man hope. In his last moments, he's given him hope. You and I live in this world where sometimes we're hanging by a thread and we have two choices we can make. We can allow our hearts to go harder or go, Jesus, this man has no legacy to leave behind where he is not remembered for any good deeds except as an object of grace. Think about that. His story 
goes down through the centuries because he became an object of Jesus' grace. That's it. But through his story, we are offered hope. Do you see that? He didn't need to accomplish all this good stuff. He just needed to cry out for mercy and grace, and he received it. And Jesus gets glory through his story. And his story is told over and over and over again to give hope to those who are hanging by threads, to bruised reeds and smoldering wicks who feel like I've screwed up too much, I've got too much shame, I've got too much guilt, I can't control my mind, the anxiety's out of control. But Jesus, but Jesus. So I'm going to call the band down. And as we sing, I, I want to invite the prayer team down as well, Pastor Rigo and anybody else who's available to pray. And if you filled this thing out, if you indicated that you've got some, some areas that need healing or restoration. By the way, we can stand. We're just going to spend some time worshiping Jesus and beholding him, right? That's what worship is supposed to be. It's supposed to be beholding him, taking him in, fixing our gaze, fixing our eyes on who he is. And so if you're somebody who's in need, like those crowds were pressing about Jesus, I just want to encourage you not to be bashful. Jesus meets needs. Like the man on the cross, remember me in your kingdom. He had nothing, he had nothing to show for himself. <laughs> Ain't that amazing? He had nothing to show for himself. He didn't say, remember me when you come into your kingdom because what many people don't know is that I, I used to give to the poor. He say that. He's just based on Jesus' mercy. How much more for these needs that we have? I believe Jesus wants to help those who are dealing with this anger, who have trouble with sleep, worrying about money, he wants to give peace to the depressed heart. So our prayer team will be down here. As we behold Jesus at any point, you can come down. Pastor Rigo will be down here. Dan and Cindy Dornacker are down here. Bob and Daniel Daber are down here. And they would love to just pray for whatever need you have. Just as an extension of the hands and feet of Jesus. He puts his spirit in us and he calls us to be his hands and feet in this world. So let's let's spend some time beholding him and asking him for help.